So God took all of the things that would condemn us and he nailed it to the cross. Jesus paid the price. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Hello, friends, and welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate both of you. Hey, if you hear something on this podcast that blesses you, that touches you, would you forward that to someone else so that people can be transformed by the Word of God, so that more people can be encouraged and enlightened in God's truth? Today, I'd like to start with a book by Ruby Payne. It's called A Framework for Understanding Poverty. And one of the fascinating things in this book is she talks about what different classes of people value. So uh, people in poverty, people in middle class, and people in wealth, how they talk and the things that fill their conversations and what's important to them, how they measure success. So people in poverty, she writes, measure success by connections, by relationships, by who you know. So I have a friend and he plays for the Dallas Cowboys or my uncle runs this business or, you know, my cousin's son is uh, connected to this person, et cetera, et cetera. And middle class people uh, measure success by achievement. So when middle class people get together, they like to talk about, oh, my, my kid got accepted to this school or I got prom- this promotion at work or this is what's happening in my business. You know, my, my kid scored the winning touchdown at the football game and it's all about achievement and wealthy people she writes talk about assets Uh, my summer house in the hamptons uh, my new g4 my my boat my yacht whatever and when i read that it resonated so deeply with me because i am absolutely middle class i grew up very middle class and when she talked about this idea that what middle class people care about is achievement and what fills our conversations is uh, talking about accomplishments and achievement. I just was struck and I just realized it was so true, but it was kind of like the, the water I was swimming in as a fish. You know, I didn't, I couldn't even perceive it because it was so close to me. And so to have someone articulate it and put it into words was so powerful for me because I realized that is what drives middle-class people. That's what has driven me. That's what drives the people around me, that we want achievement. We want to attain some kind of success, whether it's going to a certain school, getting a certain job, making a certain amount of money, driving a certain car, buying a certain house, like that. We're looking for those accomplishments, those achievements, and that's how we prove our worth in the culture. And unfortunately, uh, in the ministry world, in the church world, sometimes it's absolutely no different. You know, when when pastors get together, uh, what they'll talk about is how big is your church and how many people are coming to this meeting? How many people do you have involved in Sunday school? How many people did you lead to the Lord? How many baptisms? You know, any nonprofit uh, flyer that you look through, immediately they'll start, you know, sharing their impact statistics. And of course, you know, I think it's Rick Warren who says, uh, we count people because people count. You know, of course, yes, it's important to spread the gospel and to have more people be baptized and to start more churches. I'm all for that. But the problem is when this achievement culture seeps into the way that we walk with God. 
and we begin to relate to God with this achievement mindset, with God, okay, I'm, I, I must be doing well before you because these are the things that I've achieved, or conversely, oh God, you must be so frustrated with me because I just haven't accomplished anything, and when I look around, I see so many people who are doing so many wonderful things for you, but I just don't stack up. I don't add up. And so continuing with our theme from last week, remember last week we looked at Romans 4, 8, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. I want to keep on that theme and read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And again, that's just such a powerful idea that should destroy every sense of guilt and shame and embarrassment that we may feel when we uh, just feel like we don't stack up. When that middle-class culture tells us that we haven't achieved enough, we haven't accomplished enough, that God must be so frustrated with us the same way that we're frustrated with ourselves, we must remember that in Christ, God was not counting, is not counting our trespasses against us. And that he made Christ to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, how, how did God make Christ to be sin? Christ did not come become sin by committing any sins. We know that Christ was perfect, that he was tempted in every way, yet did not sin, according to Hebrews. So Christ became sin, but he didn't do it by committing a sin. God imputed sin to Christ so that Christ would bear the punishment for our sins, so that the wages of our sin, which is death, would be paid by Jesus Christ, so that in an act of grace, God could then impute righteousness to us. So just as Christ didn't become sin through sinning, we don't become righteous through doing good deeds. We become righteous through faith by God's grace, that God the same way he imputed sin to Christ, making Christ sin even though he wasn't sinful, he imputes righteousness to us, making us righteous even though on our own, apart from Christ, we are not righteous, we're wicked, we're evil. But God imputes righteousness to us so that we might be in relationship with God the same way that Christ is in relationship with God, that we might step into the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and get to participate in this divine life with Christ, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. It is such an amazing salvation, and there's nothing we can do 
to earn it, to attain it, and there's nothing we can do to lose it except to reject Christ, except to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and call God a liar and say that Jesus was not the Son of God. But if we are believers, if we're children of God, we are accepted before God as blameless. Continuing that theme of reconciliation that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about, uh, look at Colossians chapter 1. And the, the word reconcile in the dictionary, it means to restore friendly relations between, to cause to coexist in harmony, to make or show to be compatible, to make one account consistent with another. So God has restored friendly relations between humanity and God. He's allowed us to coexist with him in harmony because Christ bore the punishment. Christ paid the wages of our sin. Look at what uh, Colossians says on this theme of reconciliation. In uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, he says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul is saying that God has reconciled us. He's restored friendly relations. He's allowed us to coexist in harmony because in Christ we are holy and blameless and above reproach. And the word reproach in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary is to express disappointment in or displeasure with a person for conduct that is blameworthy or in need of amendment. So God has made us above being disappointing to him, above being displeasing to him through the body of Christ. And so when we feel like our accomplishments are not adding up, when we feel like we are inadequate, when that middle-class mindset uh, of how much can we achieve, that achievement culture seeps in, we have to remember, no, I'm holy, I'm blameless, I'm above reproach by the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus covers me. If we try to do it apart from Christ, if we try to say, oh no, I'm doing better, I'm a good person. You know, I haven't pushed down any ladies in the crosswalk this week. I haven't kicked any puppies. I haven't looked at porn in so many days. And we're trying to get before God in this way. We will always, we will always fall into condemnation. And rightly so, because it's only through Christ that we can be blameless. It's only through Christ that we can be holy. And that's why he says, if you continue in the face, if you don't shift from this hope, if you don't make a change and leave this gospel, if you don't go to a, a trying to sustain your relationship with God through works. Look uh, on down, he writes this in uh, the second chapter, in verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that's talking about Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. So God took all of the things that would condemn us 
and he nailed it to the cross. Jesus paid the price. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Jesus paid our debt. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for humanity so that we might be made alive together and that all of our trespasses would be forgiven. He says, having forgiven us all our trespasses, not just the really big ones, not just the ones before we got saved, but every single thing, the things we don't do that we should do, the things we should do that we don't do, God has forgiven them all. And we stand blameless before God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it's through Christ that we draw near to God, that we can have confidence before God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think that God is disappointed with you every time you mess up, if you think that God is still counting your sin against you, if you think that God is frustrated with you for everything you get wrong, you're not going to have peace with God. So you have to come back to the beauty, to the richness, to the wonder of the gospel. And remember how complete the sacrifice of Jesus was that he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God bless you. Thanks for listening.